Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Hello and welcome back to FT Science. This week we're just beginning to get into the Christmas mood. One of the world's most innovative young fashion designers has come in to show us her edible clothing. And, on the subject of eating, we'll hear about an extraordinary microbe that lives on arsenic. It has considerable implications about the possibility of life on other planets and life that uses a different kind of chemistry than what we have on Earth. I'm Clive Cookson, and you're listening to FT Science. This week, my FT colleague Andrew Jack is here as usual, and we're delighted to welcome back Diana Garnham, Chief Executive of the UK Science Council. And our special guest this week is Emily Crane, a young fashion designer based in London who brings haute cuisine to haute couture. You've brought a suitcase full of goodies. Tell us what you've got there. I've got a range starting from my experiments right at the very beginning up to a small section of a final piece. So I've sort of brought a journey to tell you. I've been doing this amazing master's degree at Kingston University, which is where I've really been pushed to interrogate what I feel the future might be. I've got one piece here which is in a small glass. It almost looks like a fungus, very delicate structure. It's like a brillo pad or something. Yes. It's actually a very early experiment into gelatin and it's got a bubble structure there which is formed with gelatin water and to get the colour on this specific one as it was a very early experiment, a little bit of Indian ink. I then moved on to using different materials and different colourings. I've got one here which is what I like to call the missing link. Oh yes, a lovely like scrunchy sound. Is... Around there. What you can see on that one, it's got a very textile structure to it in the fact that it's been fused to a piece of silk. The material that I've used there is capacarrageen, which is a vegetarian seaweed gelatin. It feels like cartilage. I know. It's quite bizarre, isn't it? It is. It looks like a sort of... You could imagine it putting it on your head, couldn't you? Yes. It has got an incredible crinkly appearance, which is very, very, very beautiful. And it's a... It could be any colour, but this is a sort of rather yeah. nice, but slightly paler than your hair, a sort of lovely blonde, creamy colour. Very natural colour, that it, one. It looks, it's, got the, it's got the texture of coral. It's very similar, it's very yes. Solid. Our producer, LJ, thinks it reminds her of Miss Havisham's wedding dress, which is another nice <laughs> image for people listening. Yeah. What I like to call that one is the missing link. It's a mixture of um, silk organza, the vegetarian gelatin capacarrageen, which is then formed, and as the seaweed has dried out and formed and become solid, it's shrunk, letting the moisture release, and therefore that's where you've got that beautiful crinkly texture where it's brought the silk together. And next, next on the tour... let's have this one here. This is a very important experiment to me. It's a pork gelatin base with bubble structure as standard. I started to wonder about seaming, so I was looking at fusing. So with this piece, you've got 
the top half which is white and clear which is as you can see very formed to the neck of a mannequin and the bottom half is black and draped and very soft what I've done is added to exactly the same mixture first half spooned into the mixture the top half here which is obviously the white one and then added a very small amount of black food colouring to the rest of the mixture in the bowl and then spoon the other half in so once it began to set, I began to realise that actually it's got two completely different qualities. And it's an amazing difference in texture between this really spongy black lower part and then this sort of rather hard, but very rather lustrous. It's got really quite a, a sparkle. I'll tell you what this reminds me of, and it'll make you think of this, Diana. So it would be a fantastic Arab woman's face mask Indeed. wouldn't it you can just imagine it <laughs> but the black is it feels very rubbery it's very it much like latex isn't it yes very much, very much. Mm. this one here this is very clear again it was quite an early experiment but what i really like this has got no additives or food coloring or anything in it it's just the natural material that you can see how it's transformed the bubble structure and where all this micro nutrient couture sort of the wording came from you can see the structures that is within the material and that's very, very light and a bit like crushed up cling film yes. in feel. Yes. With beautiful but bubbles in it. I really like that. And finally, what is that amazing coloured piece this there? This one here, this absolutely magenta, almost luminous pink one, is um, again quite an early experiment. It's You can see the two textures here. It's got where this one was actually formed on a dinner plate. And um, where the texture is very shiny and on the bottom half, it's where the gelatin has sunk to the bottom and created a completely different finish to the top half, which is much more matte. Much more rigid, much yes. stronger. Oh, the colour is fantastic. It is the most gorgeous colour. That, that's fantastic. going to be a hat. It could be. Is the idea overall people literally should eat their clothes after wearing them? The idea behind it is really looking at sustainability and looking at what we have on the high street as a throwaway fashion now, what potentially may we have in the future, and what really does transient fashion mean? If you look at our high street today, everyone goes out to see the Primark and other places of similar sort of cost and every week has a new dress, as opposed to looking at the couturiers, which you have a dress for life. How much science have you had to learn in the course of doing this? Because you don't have a science background, do you? Not at all, no. Really, it's been very much I've been playing in my own lab at home in my kitchen. And with the fat duck, with the chefs in the experimental kitchen, and they help me a lot looking at edible foaming agents and looking at how things can transform and new fixtures and fittings that could potentially be fitted to the products that I was making. Scientists are one that I want to start looking into. Is Obviously, I've got them on small scale at the moment. I want to start looking into... Most of them are made from gelatin. What happens if you start playing with sugar? Because obviously, that can sometimes have a very similar effect to some of the products that I've got here. And really looking at the way materials behave... Going back to the fat duck, I can see all sorts of things that could happen on the dinner table. So you could have edible tablecloths and table napkins and all sorts of things. Exactly. And your entire meal then would yes. be disposed of. Everything, yes. Presumably they're quite dependent though on their um, properties and their texture on the humidity and the weather and so on. You wouldn't want to go out in anything when it was raining, would exactly. you? Cinderella style. Exactly, <laughs> yes. Now, obviously this is why I'm beginning to look at doing a PhD with this type of materials because... They, I've got them to a certain point, but they really need to be moved on to the next level.
Diana, I think this could be quite a good vehicle for infusing young people about science, don't you? Absolutely, because you're coming at it from something really quite practical and that you love doing, and then you, the challenges are really making it work. And one of the interesting bits here is that the science around the chemicals and colour because for the two products you've got here, the, the difference of introducing the colours made a big, a big difference. And, of course, chem- those are very strong chemicals that we use every day. Well, very, very good luck, and we, I hope we'll keep in touch. Now, Diana, I don't know if there's anything science-related that you'd like to tell us about your trip to Asia and the Middle East. In terms of Oman and the people I met, what was striking there of how much investment there has been in the last 30 years in education and how keen they are to get 50% of their population through university with absolutely no questioning about whether that's the right number. And also interesting to see the challenge that they're putting out for young women to enter science and technology subjects and the introduction last year of uh, Omani Women's Day and the keenness to have 50% of their science and technology graduates as women. Um, It is quite fascinating to see how they are unquestionably just determined to make this work. And when you got back, what did you think of the UK science policy scene? Was there anything that struck you? Uh, Almost, yes. I mean, I've just been looking at a list of the something like uh, 140 different consultations on various aspects of science and education policy. So we're in huge consultation mode, which is quite scary. But it's an interesting time and people are settling down to making the comprehensive spending review work. And today we're launching the Concordat on public engagement. So it's still a very busy period. And what is the Concordat on public engagement? It's um, a set of principles that will guide principally the research councils and universities and government funding of research and how they will, the commitment to engage with public, in public dialogue about the research that's being funded and being carried out and led from the top, which I think is a very, it's good to have a very strong commitment. And there are a very large number of signatory and supporter organisations coming together to make this really work for those they employ in science research. Okay, let's move on now to Robert Frederick in Washington for our weekly contribution from Science Magazine. Thanks, Clive. All life is thought to require six elements, carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, phosphorus, and sulfur, and uses these elements to make DNA, RNA, proteins, and fats, But as researchers reported last week in a paper published online by Science, there's a microbe that may be utilizing the toxic element arsenic instead of phosphorus. The microbe we've discovered appears to be able to use arsenic if not given any phosphorus. So everywhere we expected phosphorus, we found arsenic. Felisa Wolf-Simon is a geobiochemist with the U.S. Geological Survey and NASA's Astrobiology Institute. She and her colleagues found the microbe at California's Mono Lake, a lake that has naturally high levels of arsenic. Back in the lab, they cultured the bacteria, diluting the solution of mud and water that the microbes normally grow in, in such a way that, over time, there were higher and higher concentrations of arsenic and lower and lower concentrations of phosphorus. So you do this 1 in 10, 1 in 10, 1 in 10. So after, for example, the 1 in 1 millionth dilution from the original lake, losing all the memory of the original lake solution, we still had microbes growing and swimming and clearly very active at a physiological level. This is a proof of principle. Barry Rosen is a biochemist at Florida International University and is not associated with the paper. 
you know, they're not demonstrating that there's life hidden out there that uses arsenic in place of phosphate. That's unlikely, at least on Earth. But what they're demonstrating is that life can use arsenate. And so if they have to put selective pressure on the cells to do that, it's really a demonstration that it's possible. In other words, because phosphorus is pretty much everywhere on Earth, including in Monolake, the bacterium Wolf Simon and her colleagues isolated may have evolved during the experiment to utilize arsenic instead of phosphorus. Again, study author Felisa Wolf Simon. These cells will grow on phosphorus, and that's something critical to remember. So we're very cautious in the paper to say that arsenic can substitute for phosphorus. We're not claiming that this is an alien microbe or that it's some other form of life from another planet. No, it's something we can recognize. It's on the tree of life. It's just doing something a little differently. It's the kind of thing that really has considerable implications about the possibility of life on other planets and life that uses a different kind of chemistry than what we have on Earth. Again, Barry Rosen of Florida International University. Yes, I'm convinced that the arsenic is being incorporated, but as the saying goes, the devil is in the details. And as a biochemist, I'm obsessed with details. So I thought to be truly convincing, the next step has to be to demonstrate that specific molecules, whether small molecules of intermediary metabolism like glucose 6-phosphate or phospholipids or larger molecules like phosphoproteins, they really have to demonstrate that these molecules purified from the cells have arsenic in them and that they are still active. And so used by the microbe. But both Rosen and study author Wolf Simon say it could be years before they can sort that out. For Science Magazine, I'm Robert Frederick. You can hear more of our weekly podcast at sciencemag.org. Back to you, Clive. Thanks very much, Robert, and thanks to Science and AAAS. Well, that study certainly stirred up a lot of interest, particularly from people who'd love to find life on other planets and who think that the mono-lake microbes make that discovery more likely by extending the biochemical repertoire of life. Is that the sort of thing that excites you, Emily, the thought of weird microbes and arsenic consumption? Most definitely. I think something like this is very interesting in the form that it can really transform something that we obviously wouldn't normally use into something that is becoming more valuable to us. Exactly, and it could probably be used for arsenic remediation in due course. I mean, these bugs could be used to clean up nasty places. Andrew? I've been to Mono Lake, and as I recall, oh. the um, it, it's been long sucked dry by the very thirsty Los Angeles, of course, on the far side of the mountain. So it's nice to hear some sort of life of a different sort could survive despite those huge energy demands of uh, one of the world's biggest metropolises. Yes, I mean, I think the reason there are these weird microbes and that they've evolved there is because Los Angeles has sucked the lake dry. And they hear this homeopathic sort of concept or sort of dilution, dilution. is part of their technique. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. dilution and dilution and dilution. But it was amazing to hear the kind of, I mean, it's obviously seized the popular imagination. I think that story made the front page of a lot of the American papers amongst others, didn't it? And the FT, of course, it as well. It did. has uh, got a good place. Uh, People love hearing about new forms of life, whether they're terrestrial or extraterrestrial. Anyway, I think that's all we have time for today. Please join us again next week for more fascinating tales from the world of science. We'll be getting even more festive then as we explore the science of alcoholic drinks. 
But now I'd like to thank Emily, Diana and Andrew for joining me. And thank you for listening. FT Science was produced by LJ Filatrani. I'm Clive Cookson. Goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.